All right, in the book of Revelation, we're going to be in chapter 3 today, um, looking at the letter to the church at Smyrna. Danny, come on up. Danny Payne, um, this has been in the works a while, um, is going to speak. Danny was a youth pastor here four years, is that right? From what, 08 to 12? Yep. Okay. And we became really good friends. We've kept in contact since, and I love and appreciate him a lot. Uh, after I became pastor, he knew, he knew what that's like being new at that. Because before this one, you were new in that other one in Kansas City. Yes, yeah, so you knew where it was. So he would contact me occasionally, how you doing, uh, giving me advice. When COVID hit, he knew because none of us knew what we were doing. Amen. And I was barely in, into my second year and was <clears throat> clueless about what to do. And he was calling me like every week, just checking in, giving advice, how you doing. We just did a lot of talking, and I really appreciated that. That helped. God used that to help sustain me. He is well. Yeah. He is well, my friend. So, appreciated that. Here. So, Danny, part of the reason I, I wanted him to come speak, Danny was pastoring in Derby, Kansas, and recently, so if you think of the Southern Baptists in this area, there's, it's Kansas, Nebraska, Kansas, Nebraska. It seems like it should be Nebraska, Kansas, I don't know, but maybe we are higher yeah. priority. And then in that is this region called the Flint Hills region, which our church is a part of. And Richard Taylor, who had led that for a long time, retired. They were looking for somebody new to take his place to help with that region, to help pastor the pastors and with church planning. And Danny ended up becoming that person. And I'm so excited. You're the perfect guy to be pastoring pastors, in my opinion. Um, And so I thought, one, I wanted to get Danny here because some of you know him from before. And just so you could hear him bring the word, I wanted you guys just to meet him as kind of uh, my new pastor. So um, excited to have you bring the word. I do want to say one thing, if you don't mind. You're like, Garen, I'm taking so much of your time. Candlelight Christmas Eve this go. Friday. Yeah, be here, but bring somebody. We've got cards in the back. Danny's going to mention it, but people are willing to come to church at Christmas and Easter when they won't any other time. We have a lot of people who take evangelistic literature and stuff at the end of this service who come. So bring somebody. And then just... Next week, it's one service at 10. We're going to be in Revelation 12. I've been waiting for a year for this. It is the real Christmas story. So if you're in town next week, be here on the 26th to, to hear that. So, love you, man. Love you. It is. Now, you know, it's funny being back here is like, like you've got, you've got, you're, you're a grandfather now. Yeah. And, uh, and then some of you, your kids are like really tall. And a lot older. I mean, like some of y'all's y'all's were like littles, and now they're like I like I saw some of them walking in, and I, some of them I didn't even recognize because it's been ten years. But man, I'm like, and, and man, it's impressive. So thank wait you. till you see Karen. Well, he's he, he can't come through. He has some duck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man, it's so good to be here. It's uh, it has been about ten years. Last time I was here, um, Al Earhart was the pastor before Garen, and so I was here for a thing for him. But it's been it's been a journey, hasn't it? Uh, a lot of you I don't know, but I'm so glad to be here today. Uh, last time I was here, I was not a dad. I am a dad now, and you're like, well, he looks really old to be dad. <laughs> There's truth in that story. Um, and so um, I don't have a picture of my beautiful daughter. My daughter is Italia. Uh, we adopted her uh, here in 2018, actually. Gosh, time flies just like that. She is nine, she is a second grader, and she is the next to my wife. Uh, I, I, you know, I was telling Ashley, it, um, you know, we weren't able to have kids, and then having a child at the age that we had a child was, um, it was just a blessing, and so 
a lot of you guys allowed me to be your children's um, surrogate parent in some way, and so I say thank you for letting me be a part of that. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go to Revelations 3. Uh, you guys have been walking through the book, of Revel, or the, the book of the Bible all year long, and so you're getting down to the end of it here. Garen asked me to jump into this, and, and he asked me, and then he texted me, he goes, well, we need to talk. And I'm thinking, are you got some sort of weird thing we're doing? Or He's like, well, we're in Revelations. I'm like, it figures. And so, but he did give me some leadway, so I, I got to pick. And I decided to do out of Sardis, uh, the, this church at Sardis, because I've never done one about that. Uh, a lot of people do some of the others, but um, I was like, you know, this one seemed intriguing to me, and I began praying, and it's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dance there. <clears throat> Growing up, how many of you liked getting your grade card? How many of you liked getting your grade card? How many of you dreaded getting your grade card? Okay, good, thank you. I'm with you. Um, I didn't, my sisters are real, I, I didn't like getting my grade card because <clears throat> it always had down at the bottom, Danny likes to antagonize, annoy, distract disrupt um, that I was that kid. Uh, I was really good. I had mastered the ability to get other kids in trouble. I was good at it. I mean, I really was. I was good at it. And that carried me well into student ministry. And so, uh, yeah. And so it was with getting a grade card. And so one of the things I want you to think about when you think about these letters that we're reading is it's like that God is giving the church a grade card of what they're getting right and what they're not getting right. Because kind of a grade card kind of tells you all of it. It kind of shows it all. So here's the question. It's this. If you're getting a grade card for your faith, what grade would you receive and why? If you were getting a grade card for your faith as it is right now, what would you get? I want you to think on that because I'm going to leave that up there for a few minutes because I want to give you a little background about the church that we're talking about. Now, I know this is shocking, but the church is made up of people, right? And I heard a pastor say years ago the church, that church life would be much easier if we didn't have to deal with people, but we do, and that's part of the reality. And so when you think about this church letter that was written to a church way back, it isn't some relic. It's, it's, a, it's almost a mirror to reflect us the reality of who we are. That's the thing we don't like about mirrors because it shows us who we really are. You can't hide from what, it's, what it reveals. Now, ancient Sardis was kind of the capital of Lydia. Now, it's, this is important because it was strategic. It was centered. It was a center traffic for trade. It was also a military post. It sat up on a hill. And so it was, it was pretty influential. It was powerful in that sense. And what was the, why was, why was this church getting a letter? What was their demise? Well, one of the things that they had done is they had compromised their witness. They had watered it down. They had softened it. They didn't want to ruffle any feathers, so they, 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 they maybe softened the word, or they, they omitted some things, so they didn't come out so strong. And they were just, you know, think about it in this culture. We don't, we don't want any, we don't want any, we don't want any persecution. We don't want the heat turned on us. It's it's already hot enough. And that's pretty tragic for us. I love what Chuck Swindoll said. He ta- he said this about the church. I love this. He said, the church of Sardis was a morgue with a steeple. 
It's pretty sobering words to, be, to have been said about that. And so as I think about that, I think one of the tensions in church life and in our spiritual life, have you ever had a moment, because we do this typically around Christmas, we get very nostalgic. Think about the things, the way things used to be. Think about the way our marriage was this way or about, oh, the church. The church was this and we were doing all these things and just blowing and going or your marriage or your parenting or your job or your fitness or, or your spiritual life. Whatever it was, we can get very nostalgic about that in the church. The problem with that is that it blinds us to our current reality. It blinds us to what we really are, what we really look like. We keep looking backwards because we think, well, it's... You know, that just looks better than dealing with this. That just looks better than dealing with this. And I've also thought about this, that when, when we're nostalgic and when our spiritual life isn't where it should be, we, na- we don't naturally drift towards good things. We typically drift towards bad things. We typically drift towards things that we never thought we would do or be. The people that I, the student, when I was a student minister, it was amazing to watch solid young men and young women start to hang out with people that were not of the things of God or date somebody with the intent of reaching them for God. And you know what happened by and large in those two groups? They drifted. They drifted. And I, I just, I would break my heart when I would see them drift towards Guys and girls, they think, well, I'll, I'll, I'll reach them for, the, for God. It, it was rare, by the way. More often, there was a lot of casualties along that way. And we, ne'er, we rarely drift towards biblical things. We typically bi- drift towards ungodly things. And then the more tragic part of that is that we live in this nostalgic world of, well, you know, I, I used to be this way. And here's the other thing that we do is we're really good at grading everybody else's faith instead of our own. We spend a lot of time grading everybody else's spiritual life, their marriage, their parenting, their, uh, their weight, their health, their, their choices, their outfits, um, uh, you name it, we do it. We do. We live in a very, um, hate to say it, judgmental world, and Christians are some of the worst. They are. And so when you think about this letter, I want you to think about this too. Jesus sees all and knows all. Let me get there. Let me back up there. Jesus sees all and knows all. He knows what's going on. There's not anything you can hide from him. He he knows what's going on in your world. That's where this letter comes from. And so let's jump into this for just a few moments. This is out of Revelations 3, 1 through 6. It says, And the angel of of the church of Sardis wrote the words of him, who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. Now, the seven is significant because it demonstrates a fullness and completeness. The seven eyes are representative of God's eyes. And here's the important thing, that nothing is hidden from God. You can't hide anything from God. He sees all and knows all. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. When we as Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to an outside world. Is that true? It's true. It's true. We have that responsibility. When we, when we, are, we act poorly, when we treat each other poorly, here's what I have learned about church life. When a church is really unhealthy, you may not attend it, but don't you hear about it? 
right? Isn't it true? You go, oh, have you heard about what's going on at their church? Do you go there? No, but I heard about it. It's amazing to me. I live, Derby is about the same size town as Emporia, and it is astonishing to me that you will hear about another church even though you don't attend that church. Because if it's going badly, people chatter. Rarely do they chatter about the good things unless you're just boasting. But typically, oh, did you hear about what happened to their pastor? Did you hear about going on their church? And church life during a COVID thing was kind of hard, wasn't it? Kind of hard? And I said this in first service, I'll say it again. There was no seminary that could prepare us, leaders and congregation, for what we were navigating and still trying to figure out. Is it perfect? No. But, you know, I heard one pastor, he was like, I've been with you through thick and thin, and you're leaving me over some protocols. You, I've, I buried your parents. I helped you get married. I was there through your illness. And, I was, and then they were like, I don't like what you're doing. I'm out. We were treating each other poorly. The church, was, the church was treating itself poorly, the way it talked to one another. I had one lady at my church, she goes, are you going to list who's been vaccinated so everybody can know who they are? I'm like, nope. Are you going to have a service where one group sits over here that wears masks and another group that sits over here that's not masked so that they're separate? I said, nope. And she said, I'm out of here. I said, I didn't do that, but I wanted to. But here's the part about it. You know what happened? That that hurt deeply. She was like one of my core. I'm like, we have walked through way harder things than this, and I'm asking you to give me some grace because I have no idea what I'm trying to do here. I'm just trying to figure it out. And that's part of the reason why Garen and I, Garen and I and about six other pastors, we would talk and just like, okay, how do we do this? How do we do this well? A watching world wants to know, wants to know how you're going to do this well. Before I was in ministry full-time, I, uh, I was working at an industrial water treatment company. The guy I was working with was not a believer. I was. And painfully, uh, we were at a restaurant. We were on our way to a job site, and we went to a place to get some breakfast. And I had just enough money to get the, uh, the breakfast part, but not enough to get an actual drink. So I got my breakfast, but the way that the, the restaurant was configured is you, you paid for your food over here, and you walked around on the other side where the pop machine stuff is, where you fountain drink and everything, and you f- get what you want. Well, in a moment of weakness and stupidity, um, we walk around to where the, the fountain drink thing is, and I have a moment, and I have a bad moment. And there is the preferred iced tea that is really good at this place and the water dispenser, which is all I paid for, the water. And so the guy who is not a believer sees me move over one to the dispenser with the lovely iced tea. Now he's not a believer and he knows that I am. And so I, I get my iced tea, we sit down at the table to eat and he looks right at me and he said, I thought you bought, I thought you got water. I said, yeah, but the tea machine was right there. And he goes, I thought you were a believer. You know what? That tea didn't taste so good that moment. Because he busted me right in my chops. And he wasn't being snarky about it. He wasn't being mean. He was just calling it as he saw it. That when 
when Christians behave badly, it reverberates. It reverberates all the way through. And so let's take a look. We're going to start in this. We've, we've read the first part of it. We're going to keep reading. And look at, what, look, at what, look at what the Lord is saying. He says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive. You are dead. How many of you have watched uh, Home Alone this year already? Own it. Okay, good. A few of you. I watched Home Alone off and on. There is one part in Home Alone that's really interesting to me because Kevin um, knows that they're coming back to see him that night. And so he makes the house look like it's alive. There's music. He's got mannequins. He's got, an air, he's got a Michael Jordan moving around on a train. And he's got music. And, and he's moving all these things around. So it gives the appearance that there's a lot of activity in the house. And it kind of dumbfounds the two robbers. They're like, I thought they were gone. Well, he gave the appearance that there was a lot happening there, but there was actually nothing happening there. They were deceived. And this is what the Lord is saying to the church. On the outside, you look good. There's a lot of activity. But on the inside, I know what's really going on. Your reputation is that you are alive, but you're actually dead. Verse 2, wake up. That means that, that idea is to watch. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. He says, you, you've still got work to do. You're not done yet. Keep going. There's a song out that says, if you're not dead, he's not done. Okay? If you're not dead, he's not done. That means he's got more to do in you and through you. I took this new role, and there were like, people were like, why would you take that role at 58? I'm like, because God is not done. And I want to finish well what he has asked me to do. He says, keep going. Verse 3. And verse 3, if you're just marking, like that one word, remember. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you will not wake up, I will come as a thief in the night, and you will not know the hour I will come against you. It's significant that he says this because it's not really referencing that Jesus will return. Certainly he will. But this is pointing out that Sardis had already been taken over twice because they weren't paying attention. They weren't watching. They were overtaken because they were just, just not looking the right way. It's important for us to do that. I know your works. You're dead. Those are sobering words. It's tragic to be a church. I like this one. It's tragic to be a church made up of decent people, a dying witness, and a crumbling ministry. Decent people. Because we all be like, well, and if they're getting into heaven, then I'm definitely getting into heaven because I know what they're doing. I know what they're about. I know they haven't been in church in weeks. And, you know, we, we go down that road. I love what Paul said. He said, the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep, from salva for salvation is nearer to us now than it was when we first believed. He says, it's time to wake up, church. It's time to wake up and be the church you're supposed to be. And you can't look at somebody else in this room and go, that's their, no, 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 no. If you're a child of God, that's, we all have a part in that. We all have a part in that. And so if you're like, like if you've got to have a note or two today, this is get this. The first part to recognizing if you're alive or not or dead or not, there's a couple things. 
It's an honest awareness that something is wrong is the first step to renewal. There's something wrong. I, I need to take a step. I need to, I need to move in this direction with my spiritual life. I need to, I need to step back and go, okay, God, I've been, I've been playing this game really well. I was playing that game as a, as a person when I was a teenager. The church I grew up in, Sharon Baptist in Wichita, man, you'd have given him a, he has to be a believer. He's at church all the time. He sings in the youth choir. He goes on mission trips. He goes to Super Summer. He's there on Wednesday nights. And I'll never forget, it was a Sunday night service that our church had back then. There was no fancy thing. It was The pastor's name was Ken Emerson, and he was doing his regular Sunday night thing. But God called me so clearly as a 17-year-old, and he said, stop playing the game and live your life for God the way you're supposed to. Stop playing. I know. This, this, this charade you're doing by making everybody think you got it going on, and my friend, my best friend, goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm giving my heart to God. He goes, you haven't already? I'm like, unfortunately, no. So an honest awareness of where you are is the beginning point, okay? Because that verse that we just read speaks to this. It says to remember. Remember the gospel story. Remember what it's there for. The, the gospel story drew you to what Jesus was. I mean, when we're talking about, East, about Christmas and Easter, man, those, that stuff is celebrative. That stuff brings, that is, okay, my faith hinges on those things. So we remember the gospel story, what it did for you and what it can do for somebody else. Garen just talked about it. Man, people, there are two times that people will go to church as easy at any time of the year, Christmas Eve and Easter. Maybe Mother's Day if you can guilt them. But those two for sure. You can get people to go to church that may not normally go. What an opportunity. If the gospel story has spoken to your life in a dramatic, powerful, then share it with somebody. Invite somebody. The worst thing they can do is say, no thanks. The best thing they can do is say, yeah, I'll go. How awesome could that be? The other thing is to keep it, that, that what he says, to keep it, it means to hold tight to the Word of God. Don't let go of it. Man, hold tight to the Word of God. Man, if this is the only time you're reading the Word on a Sunday, it's not enough. You eat more than one meal a week, right? Then dine on some of this. This is worthy, I'm telling you. Hold tight to it. Especially when you got lots of things coming at you. Well, you ought to think this way. You ought to believe this way. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to, you ought to. No, what you ought to do is hold on to this. The other thing I'll tell you is to repent. And, and we were told that. You really have a prescription here. How many of you have gotten a prescription from the doctor? And you go, ah, I'm not doing that. Then why do you get it? If you get a prescription, you know, I have a heart arrhythmia that I've been dealing with now for quite a few years, and it, it kind of comes and goes. It doesn't bother me for years, and then it just shows up. And the doctor's like, well, here, you can take this blood thinner, or you can risk a stroke. I'll risk the stroke. No, of course not. I took the blood thinner. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's crazy that people, you get a clear prescription from a holy God. He says, honest awareness Remember, keep it, and then repent. How about that? He, and, and then we go, ah, no, I'm just going to keep doing what I've always been doing. What was, what, you're you're going to get the results of whatever you've been doing. If you've been keep doing the same thing and it's not good results, you're just going to keep getting bad results. The idea I love is repent, our, our companion throughout our faith, our faith journey. Let me help you out. 
repentance isn't the only time that repentance shouldn't have taken place is at the moment of salvation, of conversion. You need repentance, and I need it today, right now. We don't outgrow repentance. We don't outgrow grace. We need both of them all the time. And that helps us keep our hearts tender towards God so that when we are growing in our faith, we don't get snarky with people. I used to tell my church, the church I just left, I said, I think that some people thought being a jerk is a spiritual gift. It's not. Being a jerk to people is not a spiritual gift. But some people have kind of mastered that. We need to allow the repentance to go with us and so that we're journeying together. A couple of other things before we close. Verse 4 says this. There's still a few. There's, there were some, he was saying there wasn't very many people getting it right, but there's still a few getting it right. This idea of a remnant. Names of Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed and thus in white garment, and I will never be blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before my, his angels. He will hear and let him hear, for the Spirit says to the churches. So he's like, not everybody has, has kind of sold themselves. There are some that are getting it right, and I love this, because he says there's still some that are getting it right. They're, they're, they're walking it away. They've not, they've not, they've not tanked. They've, they've stayed to the faith. Everybody else maybe has, has shifted some, and I like this. I want you to hold on to this quote by Henry Blackaby. Let me just help you out here. You can say, well, man, Danny, I have not walked with God in a really long time. It has been weeks, months, maybe years. Maybe you have not opened this. Maybe your life has, decisions have, have, have stacked up and you're like, man, can God do something with me right now? Can I tell you something today? Maybe you're here and you're like, that Danny's... I used to be a person who walked with him, and now I don't. Let me just tell you, God is in the redemptive business. It's just that you have to have the self-awareness and the courage to say, God, here's my stuff. Do with it with you what you can do, because I can't. I've tried, and I've not done well. All I've done is made it worse. See, God takes what's soiled and makes it white as snow. He's good at that. He's good at taking your mess and cleaning it and fixing it. It's just that you got to say, all right, God, here's my stuff. Do your work. Part of the problem is we want to help him. Let me, let me clean up some stuff. And God's like, no, 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 no. Don't touch it. Let it be. <laughs> let it be. And he is in the restoration business. I love that. See, the church is made up of people. And we can't change that. There's nothing we can do about that. That's just the way it is. Church is made up of people. And that church has to do a better job of modeling Jesus to this group. Because when you think about the letters, the letters were written to the churches. Hey, come on. Y'all need to take care of. Y'all need to stop pretending and start living for God. And so Paul reminds us of this. And I want to treat this passage out of Ephesians like a prayer. I don't think you've thought about it that way. But he says, what, what do we, Danny, what do we do with this moving forward? We played a game. We were nostalgic about our, we, we looked on the outside like we were alive, but on the inside we were dead. The idea here is, is that for us to live for God is to have a healthy awareness of where we really are and stop playing games. 
and stop hoping instead of putting, instead of trying to do something, say, okay, God, this is yours. You do what you could do. Here's my life. Do with it whatever you want. So I want to treat this passage out of Ephesians like a prayer. And I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And wherever it says you, I want you to think of yourself as an I. Okay? Let's get, let's get personal here. I was dead in my trespasses in which I once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them, I once walked in the passions of my flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and were by nature a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he had for me, even when I was dead, at my worst, in my trespasses, made me alive with Christ by grace. I have been saved and raised up with him, separated, seated with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, his grace and in his kindness toward, toward, toward me in Christ Jesus. For by grace I have been saved through faith. This is not of my own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his work, I am his workmanship in Christ for God's work, for which God prepared beforehand that we, that I, would walk in them. Amen. See, here's the thing. This is what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be dead to our old life and walking with him in newness. That everything that we're about, all the activities that we do for him should be an outflow, not because. Not that we're trying to dazzle him or trying to win some sort of approval of others, okay? So when you think about this, if you were getting a grade as a church, what, grace, what grade would you get? If you were getting a grade from God right now, what grade would he give you? And you can't base it on what everybody else is living. See, the church, you make up the church. I make up the church. And we have this responsibility to live it transparently, openly, and honestly. Because there's a watching world that wants to see if this Jesus really is the hope of the world that we claim. Is he the hope of the world in your life? Let me pray and I'll get you out of here. Father, I ask that the passage in Ephesians would be reflected well at 12th Avenue. That we once were this way, but now we walk in grace. And it wasn't anything that we did or that I did. It was all that your son did. And I pray, God, that if we believe that the hope of the world and what we celebrate next week was really born... How can we be silent about that? How can we not celebrate that? How can we not rejoice in that? How can we not live that out? Because the Savior of the world was born for us. We sang a song, Emmanuel, God with us. Not God somewhere out there, God with us. That means it's personal. And I pray that we would reflect that. Not some fake version, 
not some perfect version, because I know that we've got a journey. Man, God, we've got to do a better job to reflect Christ, Christ to not only within the body, but to a watching world. I pray, God, that as we leave here, that we would bring you glory and honor in our conversations, in the way we treat waitresses and waiters, our family members, our children, our coworkers. And I pray that we would see them not as projects, but as somebody that's been created in your image, and maybe they just don't know it yet. And that we would have the courage to invite them to a thing like a Christmas Eve service because we believe you are the hope of the world. It's in your name that I pray, amen. Man, God bless you. Thank you guys for being here today. Garen, thank you for letting me step up here today. You guys have a blessed week. I hope you will bring somebody with you Christmas Eve. God bless.